With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right. Hopefully that doesn't jump too far out of people, but uh, welcome back to another episode of the Anonymous Eagle Podcast. Uh, along with the three-man weave, Sam Newberry and Ben Snyder, I'm Patrick Leary. Um, we are going to launch into our first podcast associated with the 2019-20 season today. Uh, very exciting stuff. What a, what a great time of the year it is. College basketball is almost here. Yeah, college basketball is... We're recording this on Sunday, so college basketball is... I'm going to do the math in my head and say about 10 days away, give or take. Um, is it the 6th is when all the games start? It is the 5th. 5th Tuesday. Fifth. So that's Tuesday, yeah, so 9 days, which is... Wow. It really, uh, did it sneak up on you guys? It really snuck up on me. It really did. I've, yeah. I've been too focused on like being sad about the Housers leaving to like really get into like, all right, we have basketball games to think about mode. Yeah, before this weekend, I, um, I've been in the office 23 out of the 25 possible days of the month. So um, I, I don't think... I, it snuck up on me, not because I haven't been thinking about it, but because I've lost all concept of time and reality. So, because, because you don't have time for thought. Yeah, no, like it's literally like, haha, you have to work and study. So, guess what? Surprise, it's October 27th. That's, uh, that's, yeah. Sam is, Sam is a hardworking professional. So, I wouldn't call it that. Okay. A hardworking. You guys get your costumes ready? I don't have one. Uh, wow. First of all, that's, that's a whole, that's a whole nother conversation. Um, (laughs) I, uh, I am not going to dress up on any day besides yesterday. And I was a, I was, I, I have sort of devised a strategy that anytime I don't want to put a lot of thought into a costume, I will just go buy a Superman shirt and dress up as Clark Kent because you can just wear, you can just wear the easy out. Yeah, you can just wear normal clothes. All you need is is lensless glasses and a Superman shirt, and then you can just wear dress clothes, and it's Clark Kent. It's very easy. My thing has always been that I haven't had like that one friend that every single year they have a party, and so every year it's like two weeks before that, and I haven't thought about Halloween, and someone's like, oh, come over on this day, and I'm like, oh, maybe I have plans that day, maybe I don't but I don't want to think about a costume too much. So my go-to is always squints from Sandlot because oh. I look a lot was, like him. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, yeah, that was a, uh, once you said it, it was like, oh, it totally makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, I don't even have that option. I have a wedding this weekend in San Diego, not to brag, but uh, oh, that's Robbie wow. for Halloween weekend. That is a, that is quite a brag, honestly. That's yeah. uh that's that's a pretty sweet uh sweet setup for a wedding. It's great. Um okay. 
we are going to be talking about the Marquette roster for a majority of this podcast. Um, before we do that, uh, would you gentlemen like to talk about the most newsworthy item, which is the uh, secret scrimmage that is no longer secret uh, that took place um, about a week ago now? Um, I, I, I still think that's sort of newsworthy. We haven't had a discussion about it, and there's definitely some uh, conversation to be had um, about some of the numbers out of that. Obviously, I don't think it's wise to look at how both how certain players performed and make like sweeping judgments about how they will perform. But I think there's some valid conclusions you can draw from it. Um, it was frustrating to see that Theo John um, was in foul trouble, not for the purpose that he needs to be out of foul trouble to be good, which is also true. But, I mean, that's going to be variable from game to game for him probably. What I was wanted to see was how the center minutes broke down in a realistic non-foul uh, influenced environment. Now you could make a claim that it's not realistic to not factor in fouls to how the center position will break down, which I actually agree with because I'm kind of assuming that one of them will be in foul trouble pretty much every game, but I'm that's, I think the most intriguing roster storyline for me from a minute share standpoint, because I think the top four guys that aren't centers in the starting lineup will be in the starting lineup and will uh, play a lot of minutes until something happens performance wise. So I don't think there's a whole lot of interesting storylines there, but I, but I, but I wanted to see more how the center minutes broke down. And I don't think you got a very good picture of that from this game. What stood out to you guys uh, when you looked at that? box score, uh, and maybe video highlights, but... Yeah, Ben, I'm cutting across you now, because I know what you want to talk about. Yes. So I'm 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 going to transition into Pessimist Sam really quick, so we can end on the Optimist Ben uh, comments. I think that's Um, good. It's a compliment sandwich. Good. Good God, Sakariano and Kobe McEwen's stat lines are horrifyingly bad. Um, Sakar going 4 of 14 from the field. Kobe, one of nine from the field, even though he did draw, um, looks like six fouls he drew himself, went eight of nine from the free throw line to salvage a double-digit scoring performance. But him being one of nine and O of three from three, um, Sakar being four of 14, O of two from three, um, you know, it's a, it's a yikes. It's not what you want to see. Yeah. So I don't want to make it seem like I feel like that's invalid because I don't. Uh, Something that I didn't ever get confirmed but is is something I interpreted is based on the box score is that it seems like, and due to fouls, I think, not due to coach's decision, it seems like Marquette played a lot with Anim and McEwen not Howard in this game because Marcus Howard had foul trouble, it appeared. Um, 
And Marcus Howard only played 26 minutes, where Annam and McEwen played 33 and 32. So, in my opinion, part of what could have made those stat lines for them so inefficient is the unrealistic scenario where they were playing without Marcus Howard for a full 14 minutes. That's, um, um, that's not a bad way to look at it. That's, that's where, especially the Anim stat line, that's where that is rose-coloring it a bit for me because I, think, I don't think Sakar Anim will shoot 14 times unless Marcus Howard's not in. Um, and so my thought is that it's not worth panicking over his stat line because he's not a dude that should shoot that much, and the only reason he was shooting that much was because of Howard being in foul trouble. But I don't know that for a fact, but that was kind of how I talked myself into the uh, into that. Sure. I will, I will ramp up to Ben's positive comments by saying, um, considering the foul trouble and considering the... Um, you know, the, the lack of Marcus Howard on the floor. Um, Ed Morrow seemed to have a pretty good day. Uh, seven total rebounds, only two fouls in 21 minutes, two or three from the floor. Um, you know, wasn't amazing, but um, I think that's probably going to end up being the role all of the bigs end up playing is sort of rebound a lot, see if you can create more possessions. Um, don't worry too much about scoring. Stay out of foul trouble if they can. So if they can... Um, if they can play like Ed did in that 21-minute stretch, um, that'd be great. Yeah. Uh, ben, do you want to jump yeah, on the I'll, train? I'll hop on the Kobe McEwen talk with uh, I. Oh. Uh, <clears throat> so I'm a little bit low on Kobe McEwen, probably relative to the rest of the fan base, but he does present a lot of value that we haven't really seen before in the Wojo era and that he will draw a lot of fouls. So seeing that he drew six fouls is definitely a positive. It's just that the times that he's not getting those foul calls, it's a little bit less likely that he's going to be making those buckets. Um, onto my own independent thoughts. First off, Archie Miller got a technical foul in this game. Yes. He's a member of the Indiana coaching staff, which what? Yeah, <laughs> it's a close first scrimmage. I'm just, I cannot wrap my head around that. It's just so beautiful. I really want to know what happened in that. Um, and then the thought that Sam telegraphed to me was the Brendan Bailey stat line, which is, I am honed in on four of six from three, which, as you will see in the preview that is coming out if it's being released on Monday, today. Good good plug, AnonymousSiegel.com. Yeah, AnonymousSiegel.com. Um, the big area that Bailey needs to improve in or at least show consistency in is a three-point shot. He finished off last year shooting, I think, 39% from three in his last five games. Plus, this stat line is showing me that hopefully it's coming. I hate to be that guy that just randomly says about every player who could improve on the shot, just saying, oh, well, when he learns to shoot the three, because it's not automatic, that's why it's hard to do. And so I don't want to assume that he's going to be making that big stride this year, but man, this is really encouraging because these closed door scrimmages, like they do hold some water. If anyone listens to the Ken Pomeroy podcast, he actually talked about this on the one that he released last week. 
where if you look at some of the results from last year, like he highlighted the Nevada-Washington scrimmage from last year in which uh, Washington actually beat Nevada. A lot of people at first were like, oh, it's just a scrimmage. It doesn't matter. Because remember at the time, Nevada was a consensus top 10 team, Final Four contender, all this stuff. Nevada ended up being a seven seed last year, a pretty big disappointment. And Washington kind of snuck up on people as a legitimate Pac-12 contender, as much as that doesn't mean anything. So seeing these types of results, again, it's, it's not a real game, but it does matter. And kind of on that end also, beating a very depleted Indiana team by three isn't the greatest sign in the world for a team that's maybe hoping to crack the top 25 at some point this year. Yeah, that's an Indiana team that was out there without their starting backcourt as well. That, I was that shocked too, yeah. how depleted that roster was. I, I didn't – that's that's because they're injured. I, 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 was, I was shocked. I was like, who are these guys playing for Indiana? Like, I know they lost Lankford, but – yeah. So that, that final score, even though we obviously weren't even able to see the flow of the game and whether or not coaches were making decisions to win the game or to work out their own pieces, all that aside, a little bit worrisome. But that's all I have to say about that. Yeah, I mean, I think there's going to be some adjustments for this team for sure. So I'm not super mad to see maybe a little bit of a slow start. Um, I I don't expect them to come out of the gates uh, blazing. Um, and I think that they have a really tough second and third game. It is so weird that the Wisconsin game is the third game of the season this year. I, I, I do not like it. I have – like I that game is – it would not be weird – if that game wasn't the same weekend every single year. Mm-hmm. And it's so dumb that it's different. I don't get why it's different. Um, I think Marquette is going to be able to take advantage of that roster being a bit depleted probably. But the to start with Purdue-Wisconsin is going to be a definite test for this team. And like you said, I, I don't... You know, the, the early struggle in that Indiana game is not encouraging. But again, yet Marcus Howard only played 25 minutes. There will not be games where he plays 25 minutes unless something happens. He will play 35 minutes. So it's there will not be many games where that, that takes place. Um, anything Another, else? A, a very quick thing. Pat, I think you pointed this out on Twitter. Like, again, caveat that Theo John had some foul trouble, but the amount of minutes that two bigs were on the court at the same time, I think, was around, like, 10 minutes or so for the full 40 minutes. Yeah. Which I can live with. The centers combined for 45 minutes. Um, So that means if, um, you know, if there were minutes that none of them were on the court it might be more but i doubt there were many minutes where none of them were on the court given the size Mm -hmm. of the team so that means at most it was about five minutes um when they were two two playing at at the same time which i think that should be about how much they do that honestly i'm i'm perfectly fine with that if 
if Wojo just wants to throw something different at a defense for as something else for them to consider, I'm fine with that, considering that Brendan Bailey is right now probably the best and maybe only natural four in his system. Right? Well, not to get too far ahead of ourselves for the next podcast, but I could definitely see um, a time where... Uh, so, um, for those who have not been following Twitter as religiously as I unfortunately do. Um, Jacob Epperson of Creighton went down with what looked like mm. a very serious knee injury. Um, oh. So Cre- Creighton's going to have exactly one person over like six, seven on their roster um, in is, a is grad transfer. Is it Harry Curling's brother? No, who, he, uh, he, went pro- he went back to Australia and went pro. Um, Love it. So it's... <laughs> Some grad transfer from Idaho State, I think, or Idaho, maybe like one of the two Idaho State schools. Um, and you know, uh, that's not 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 very fun to think about from a Creighton fan perspective. Um, having exactly one big man total. Um, so I could definitely see games this year where Brendan Bailey or even Jamal Kane is trotted out at the quote unquote five. I'm so, way more intrigued by that than the five center or the two center formation. The five centers. You know what? I want five centers. Now that Pat said it, I want five centers on the court at the same time. Look, not not for nothing. But before we get into this year's roster, we have two lanky combo forwards um, coming into the fold next year, as of right now. Um, one of whom, Oso, is, has shown a pretty good handle. So uh, let's. Let's keep that one tucked away for next year. Uh, Absolutely. I like I like the kind of players that Marquette is recruiting. I think I like the the guys that they're landing that are like six seven, six eight, and look like they can play three different positions and defend three different positions. Those are those are those are my favorite type of college basketball players to have on a roster. Now you do need like a Marcus Howard occasionally, like some sort of like scoring guard, but I I like having those those guys. Those guys are my favorite to to add to rosters because they can do anything and they can impact it in a lot of different ways. Anyhow, um, anything else from the from the scrimmage? Um, I think we probably touched on a lot of the points uh, on your Brendan Bailey uh, point, Ben. I think based on the highlights from what I remember watching, uh, he he looked like he was stroking it from the corner, um, mm-hmm. which is a really encouraging. Like if he's got a rhythm shot from a certain spot like that, that's you know really really encouraging. Um, I so so that's that's awesome. And you're right. If Brennan Bailey has a jump shot, that it, he's knocking down in regularity. And you made the point that he has he improved, uh, especially in the last five games as a shooter. Um, it that that is a huge element that Marquette is going to need to to utilize. And I think that could potentially make Bailey the secondary uh, scoring option for this team. Although McEwen is likely to be a, a freer, a freer shooter uh, from a volume standpoint. Yep. I agree. All right. Uh, transition into some roster talk. So how we're going to do this is at least right now, we're hoping to release a pod uh, as you, this will probably be available Monday morning and then do a similar thing next week where we talk about the schedule and uh, 
probably do some scrimmage box score. Sam, you're not going to go to the or not scrimmage uh, exhibition. Sam, are you going to go to the exhibition game? Uh, that is a TBD right now. Yeah. Well, so we may do box score analysis, or it may be Sam reporting live, but we we uh, we will likely not have a guaranteed person there to talk about how they actually looked. Um, well, we could always bring the captain of the mothership. Um, in that's true. I'm sure he'll go. Yeah. Andy said that he sent us an email this morning. He said he'd be going. Okay. So yeah, we could bring him on, or we could get his observations. We we'll have some coverage of how Marquette looks. Against uh, who's it against again? Yes, uh, yes. <laughs> I love that none of us know. Saint Norbert. Uh, hang on, hang Saint on. Norbert. Oh, Norby. Saint Norbert. Uh, yeah. Wow, Saint Norbert. That one's even like I remember. What was it? Maybe three years ago, we played Lindenwood, and they like won the D two championship or something that year. Or were, yeah, were really good. It was Lindenwood, and they're. Uh... They're kind of around St. Louis, and the year after that, I had graduated, and I was living with a couple grad students at Rockhurst University, and the Linwood bus would often pull up into the Rockhurst campus, and I would immediately get, immediately get flashbacks every time. Rock, Rockhurst, Rockhurst is, a, is a deep-cut Jesuit school. A very deep-cut Jesuit school. Like there are very... two people there in the whole school. Yeah, very, like, under-the-radar, no-one-knows-about-it Jesuit school. Yeah. People know more about the high school than the college by far. Yeah. As a okay. graduate of said high school. That was a, that was a very, uh, very interesting tangent. I'm glad we were able to work some Rockhurst University talk into the pod today. Thank you very much. Joe don't, McCann will be the only person to appreciate it. Don't, uh, <laughs> don't uh, let them tell you that we don't cover all of our bases on this show. <laughs> Um, okay, so let's start. Uh, I sort of outlined the order that we're going to go in, and I think we're going to start from sort of most to talk about to least to talk about. Hey, um, I have a lot of takes about Samir Torrance. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> well, that's now uh, let's let's start where you want to start, Pat. You're the you're the rain leader. Oh, I appreciate it. Uh, starting with Marcus Howard. Uh, if you follow Marquette on any social channels, Marcus Howard is quite clearly uh, getting the national buzz he's rightfully earned. Um, he is on, I would say, approximately 36 different All-American teams. Um, that's just an estimate. Um, some, some, some person, I forget who it was in the national media, put him on a second-team All-American, and I wanted to yell. Well, I was going to say, that, that person should be, should be jailed for treason. Yeah. Um, wow, I sounded like Trump there. That's not good. I didn't go to treason on purpose there. That was, that well, was now, now, now you have to sta- now you have to stage a photo in your best suit and tie talking about somebody uh, you, the military got while you were golfing. But enough yeah. enough politics talk. Well, no, not, I like I was was the member of the media Adam Schiff. Like I don't know why I, why I described him in that way, but uh, anyhow, um, you need to work in a drum effect or something. Yeah. Maybe that could be our, our new intro. Um, the uh, Marcus is appropriately hyped, though. I mean, nobody has accomplished. There's very few players in college basketball right now that has accomplished that have accomplished what Marcus has accomplished from a statistical perspective. Um, so it it is 
absolutely warranted that he is getting the um, sort of buzz uh, for these postseason, preseason awards that he's getting. Um, I think it's an interesting perspective, and it and on this from this angle that he and um, our, our dear our dear friend Miles Powell at uh, at Seton Hall are are receiving comparable hype, I guess. Um, I think Howard's is probably a little bit more hyped, but it basically to me shakes out that the sort of the three guards that are getting the most attention from an all American perspective are Cassius Winston, who is basically everyone's national player of the year pick, um, Marcus Howard and Miles Powell. And so I think Marquette having a player like that, because I don't, because Howard probably deserved similar hype going into last year, but did not get nearly as much, and has sort of worked himself into this position that everybody knows who he is. If you follow college basketball uh, globally, uh, broadly is a better word probably, but um, can that be a difference maker for Marquette? Because last year. Uh, Marquette was a very good team for 25 games and it made no difference that they had Sam Hauser and Marcus Howard on the same team uh, for the last seven. So the, the question with Marcus Howard is for me, he's got, he's accomplished everything from a statistical perspective. He's going to be the all time leading scorer in program history, probably by quite a wide margin by the time the season's over. Um, he's like 30 points away from it right now. He should get it. It'd be sweet if he got it against Wisconsin, but, um, I would like for him to get it earlier than that. It'll it'll probably come versus Purdue. Let's be honest here. Right. He'll be, yeah, correct. Uh, that's probably the time. Um, but I think the real question with Marcus going into this season is can his individual prowess and his, what he's accomplished as an individual player, translate into some uh, some memorable team success. Um, and I'm not sure it can because this, this team is in a very similar position to where they were last year coming into the preseason, sort of right outside of the top 25. And I don't know if this roster is better than last year's roster. So... You saw what last year's team did. Um, they were great for 25 and bad for seven. And the seven that they were bad for cost them their any sort of accomplishments. Um, and so I don't know, because Marcus definitely showed an ability to be slowed. Now he was injured, so that could have been a huge factor. But there were, there were games where having the one of the most dynamic scorers in the country was not a benefit to the team overall. Yeah. Um, that's, I ended up writing the preview for Marcus Howard actually just before getting on here. And one of the main points that I won't spoil too much was the need for someone else to not only be able to score, but to take over when he's needed to same hazard was, obviously an incredible player, shooter, all that. 
his one flaw was that he could get a little bit passive at times and wouldn't be able to take over in the way that the team really needed him to at the end of last year. And so if Kobe McEwen can become a guy, even if he's not the greatest player in the world, just as someone else to shoulder a little bit of the load, or maybe it's Brendan Bailey, but someone kind of needs to take over that real second score role because I'm fine with him getting the usage that he did last year as long as it's not detrimental. Like I'm not going to put like a upper limit, like Marcus Howard cannot reach this certain usage. Otherwise the team is bad. It does kind of have to depend on how the team flows with and without him taking control of the ball. And at that point that we determine that he can't really take over on his own, that's when someone else needs to take those extra shots, get the ball in their hands, all that fun stuff. Yeah. Well, the next player we talk about likely will be the candidate for that. Mm-hmm. But um, Sam, your thoughts on the, on the team versus uh, individual uh, conversation surrounding Marcus? I, I think I don't have anything else that's, to say. That's, that. honestly, that's how I feel about it, too. I'm, I'm right there with you. It's, yeah. it's really frustrating because I want to love him as a player, but I really also want them to accomplish something as, when he's on the team. Yeah, I do, too. Um, I don't think I could say anything at this point that hasn't already been said. I mean, we, we, every single site or group of people or idiots like us with a podcast um, have talked about, you know, the individual prowess of Marcus Howard versus the need for the team. Um, So I I don't think I'm going to offer any new thoughts to the conversation at this point. And I don't even think that it's necessarily like Marcus Howard's needs versus the whole team's needs. It just kind of needs to be in balance a little bit better. Yeah. Well, and and clearly the lack of balance is really what cost this team both their potential success at the end of last season and the Hauser brothers. Um, the, the issue, not, not on the shoulders of Marcus by any means, uh, personally, but that lack of balance, um, lack of team uh, communication about roles and team management of uh, usage is the generally understood uh, reason that the Hauser brothers are no longer at Marquette. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, that's, that's a real challenge. I think to a certain extent, it's good that Marcus is the clear alpha dog of this team because I think that that's going to be really important. I don't, I don't think you're going to see Kobe McEwen trying to steal usage from Marcus Howard in in ways that aren't sort of trying to make sure Marcus doesn't have like a 45% usage rate. Like I I think I think the the and we can transition now because we kind of exhausted our Marcus topics into Kobe McEwen, um, who I think is has the potential to be a great way to take away a lot of the negativity around Marcus Howard, a lot of what made Marcus Howard 
um, extremely inefficient at the end of last year. Having a second guard that can score, that can distribute, can do a lot of the same things Marcus Howard does at a um, in a less uh, not efficient, but just a not as not as high level of a way, but can replicate a lot of what Marcus Howard does and take some of the challenges of, uh, you know, putting the team on his back constantly off of Howard, which I think, which is a really encouraging step. Um, I think the question is how well can he do that? Um, How efficiently, how, um, uh, how, how good of a shooter is he? How good of a scorer is he? Does he take care of the ball? Um, because like we mentioned with the scrimmage, the numbers there were not encouraging. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think at his, you know, most positive outcome, he can be a real help, uh, in that way. But I know Ben, you tend to be the most statistically oriented, uh, member of our, of our team here. And you are not high on Kobe McEwen in that, from that perspective. Yeah, so this is kind of the, he's the one example of where the numbers and what people can see will not really align because Kobe McEwen, the athlete, the guy in practice, scouts really love him. And I'm definitely not discounting that at all because I do think that there is potential for him to be a really good player based on what he shows to the people that are evaluating him. The only problem is that he hasn't shown it at all during games up to this point. At Utah State, he took a ton of shots at the expense of players that were better than him, mainly Sam Merrill, who was, I believe, a freshman at the time. And... I think he ended up being the most used player on the team and in terms of skill level was probably like the third best player. And in addition to that, even though he's six foot three, long arms, all that, he was a pretty terrible defender. And looking at various clips of him in assorted situations, a lot of it can be accounted for due to just simple laziness from what I saw, especially in pick and roll situations, which if you followed some of us closely during the 2018 season was the main reason, maybe even the only reason that the team just sucked on defense. They just could not figure out pick and roll situations. And so maybe that's just flashbacks coming back at me, but seeing him not do so well in those situations on defense Worries me a little bit on that end, especially if he's going to be getting all these minutes next to Marcus Howard, who is definitely, I think, a good to above average defender, but is still limited by the fact that he's five foot eleven. Right. And so, I guess I still do think that he can be that guy to remove some of the load from Marcus Howard, especially in the way that he can get to the basket and can draw fouls, but I just, I'm going to be a little bit more skeptical and wait to see it in order to 
determine whether or not he is that guy. Yeah, I'm kind of with I'm kind of with Ben here. Um, I mean, you know, <clears throat> we already have one guy that will shoot for volume and has still somehow been ridiculously efficient on the amount of volume he shoots. The last thing I want is somebody less efficient taking volume shots away from the existing volume shooter and then, you know, not seeing other positives like, you know, a better defense or, um, I mean, I granted, I think the defense will be better this year anyway. Yeah. But, you know, it's, you're not getting a ton of trade off in a less efficient scorer taking away shots from a more efficient scorer, especially at high usage. And then not also getting, you know, uh, maybe not even an elite defender, but a much better on-ball defender or something of that nature, you know? So if he understands the role of, like, must be a slasher first, only shoot wide-open threes on kickouts, you know, don't try and get too fancy with it. Um, it, it, I mean, he drew nine free throws. Um, he drew six fouls in the, the scrimmage against Indiana. If he can continue to do that every game, I'm definitely not going to complain, but if it's going to come with a one for nine shooting line every game, not that it you know will, um, I'd rather it not do that. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I'm just really excited to see him. Like, I just want to, I just want to watch him, see how he fits in the Marquette offense uh, see how he plays next to Howard. He's definitely a guy that ever since he committed as a transfer, I think uh, people around the program have put a lot of stock into what he would eventually contribute. And now that we're at this point, I think I'm just really excited to see him out there. I will note uh, before we move on um, that Bartovic, which does a great uh, um, evaluation of, you know, projecting players. Ken Palm doesn't do uh individual player projections this early in the season um just kind of does team projections uh Kobe McEwen is projected to score nearly 14 points a game uh in uh Bartovic's uh uh analysis but is projected for the worst offensive rating um among major contributors on the team so I think that's kind of going to be the storyline with him and what ends up determining how good of a contributor he is, is, is he contributing in uh, efficient ways? And because I think if he's not, then there's a concern about, is he, is he, does he have too high of a usage for what he's actually bringing to the table? Um, But that, but I'm just excited to see him out there and I think it'll be, It'll be awesome to have a, a guard of a higher caliber next to Marcus Howard. Um, he, he has the potential to be the best guard that Marcus has played with overall. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, Andrew Rousey was a great college basketball player, but um, was not a positive force next to Marcus Howard and was a defensive liability, especially next to Marcus Howard. You really put that very politically, Patrick. Oh, why? Like, I mean, well, because <laughs> here's the thing: is I love Mark, I love Andrew Rousey. Oh, I adore him. Yeah, no so I don't want to say bad things about Andrew Rousey, but that backcourt was a freaking disaster. On defense, 
scored a crap ton of points, but they they just were such a bad combination. I don't think we appreciate slash talk about enough like we do talk about it, but not enough. Just the fact that there were three 40% three-point shooters on the same starting lineup. Yep. I think not it's to backtrack so way too much into history. But yeah, I agree with you on the point about Kobe McEwen and just wanting to see him because I'm just so sick of guessing as to what he'll do and determining my opinion based on the most recent tweet about him that I saw. So I just I just want to see him determine my opinion and go from there. Yeah, and so like in this in this example, I think if Andrew Rousey was six four and gave any sort of conscious thought to defense, like that would be that he would have been a great fit next to Marcus Howard. So mm-hmm. maybe Kobe McEwen is six four and cares about defense, you know. Okay. So there's potential for this to be the best fit that Howard has had and um, you know, obviously Rousey may have had more overall talent, but McEwen could could really benefit Howard in ways that no other and player. Maybe, and maybe Utah State for him was kind of like how Quentin Graham seemed to fit at Kansas, where you know he's probably a really good player, but maybe just the school wasn't the right fit for him for one reason or another. I'm not discounting that at all. Yeah. Well, he also. He also refused to have a word with me and Sam, even though we were, we were, we were constantly requesting Quentin to have a word with us <laughs> about uh, a great Jesuit university in Milwaukee. But whatever. Unfortunately. Uh, okay, moving to Brendan Bailey, who I moved, I put third on this list only because I know Sam or uh, Ben. You have all the takes, my lad. Let's my lad, let's uh, let's start with you, Ben. Um, what is the most uh, compelling concise way you can put why you like brendan bailey for a huge step up this year first team all big east brendan bailey please refer to him as such for the rest of this podcast exactly um his his length and the skill that comes with it like if you look at some of his drives to the basket from last year in isolation against smaller defenders his body control was just insane for a 6'8 freshman who had essentially not touched a basketball for two years. And the fact that the freshman to sophomore development jump is, I don't, I don't want to say guaranteed, but it's the most likely that you see an improvement between freshman and sophomore years. All that combined with the fact that he's an incredible defender already. And even if he gets his legs tangled under him, which, you know, happens sometimes because he's a freshman and was sometimes guarding smaller defenders, he can recover from that so easily from his arms being like six feet long each end. And he's quick. Exact measurement. Yes, exact measurements. Um, yeah, I just, I just really think that if this shooting consistency can really get clamped down, he can be a special player. And from what we saw at the end of last year, he was one of the only bright spots on the team over those last seven games. And so that combined with an offseason of 
working out and basketball activities, plus what we saw in his box score from the scrimmage, plus the more consistent minutes that he's going to be getting and hopefully a higher usage. And he's not just like a Sam Hauser standing at the corner waiting for the ball to come to him. Man, I'm I'm just stupid high on him. Yeah, I mean, I think that without a doubt, Bailey has the most um, room for growth and the most projectable leap of any of the players on the team. Um, I think Theo John is the other contender there, but I always worry about Theo John and fouls. And I'm honestly not sure Theo John will ever be able to be officiated appropriately to be able to succeed. So, so Bailey um, is definitely where the most uh, upside uh, is contained on the roster. Like there was a play last year against Seton Hall. I think it was a road game at Seton Hall where Bailey was put in isolation on the wing against Miles Kale, who is three inches shorter than him. Bailey just crossed him up, like just easily crossed him up and put up just this beautiful floater over, I think, Sandro and kissed it off the glass right into the basket. There was no hesitation. There was no picking up the dribble or tripping over himself, anything like that that you would normally see from a freshman doing that. And he just did it with ease. Sam, your thoughts? Um, I mean, I think Brendan's the most likely player to break out. I'm not sure he's the one with the most upside, necessarily. I think there's a ton of upside in um, Greg Elliott, because we, um, as, again, the captain of the mothership constantly expounds upon, um, you know, we've never seen Greg Elliott at 100% of healthiness. He played hurt his entire freshman year. He was out all of last year. Um, so I'm, if, if his freshman year was him as a freshman and not a hundred percent, that's pretty nuts. Um, and then I think both Samir Torrance and Dexter Arcano have, um, a lot of upside, especially Samir is, I think is probably a scorer or a parent. Um, and I think he'll prove that by the end of the year, but, um, yeah, of the three of the or of the four guys, I think are really primed for big seasons. Um, Brendan's probably the safest bet because we've seen him at a hundred percent. We've seen all of the tools that will make him um, into that breakout candidate. Um, I, I'm not sure I'm with Ben on first team all Big East yet, but I How could definitely you? I could How see him winning. I could see him winning. I could see him making second team all Big East if he has the season that he is potential or has the potential to have, I should say. Yeah. The, what the, one of the two reasons why I think it could easily not happen is one, not finding a shot. I've expounded upon that, but two, he's, he is not the most aggressive guy ever. So I do somewhat worry, especially the way that a guy like Sam Hauser was used because Patrick, as you said, his threes were coming from the corner, which in Wojo's system, the way he likes to space those guys is by starting him off on the corner, maybe move him to the wing a little bit, use him in screens, pick and pops, stuff like that, which is fine, but it's not like they're getting the screen set for them, they're moving to the top of the key, they're posting up at the, on the low block or something like that, so I hope that Brendan can find a way for him to move beyond that 
type of role that Sam Hauser had, especially if he doesn't turn into be the shooter that Sam Hauser was. And I don't know, there there is a very real scenario in which he settles for being a catch and shoot guy as opposed to the dribble drive guy that I know he can be. Yeah, I think I think the dribble drive guy could really take him to the next level. Mm-hmm. Um, going moving away from upside to more guaranteed contribution, um, Sakari Annam's next on the list for me. Um, I like I mentioned earlier when we were talking about the scrimmage. I don't think Sakar is going to be that kind of player. I think yeah. Sakar is going to be the steadying influence um, in a team that has a lot of sort of projectable. Uh, contributions uh, outside of Marcus Howard. I think Sakar is the one that you can kind of pencil in um, and don't need to really be like, well, if he does this, then because I think Sakar is as steady as it, as they come. He it really improved his shooting last year, um, and I'd expect him to uh, shoot similarly um, this next year. Um, he, he really, he, that really unlocked some of his contributions. And I think he will remain a guy that will score around 10 points a game and will occasionally go in for 23 or 24, um, when he gets in a rhythm on certain nights, but overall he's the guy that you put, um, at the three most times and, He'll guard the best perimeter player on the other team, and he will um, remain sort of a steadying force that um, probably won't have an overwhelming usage rate, but um, will you know contribute in all areas and uh, you know provide more positive than negative contributions um, in every way. Yeah, yeah. I think. Um, no, you go ahead, Sam. Yeah, well, I was going to say, one thing I want to say that I want to see from Sakara this year, um, you know, I think we've seen him at his maximum offensive potential short of, you know, maybe hoping that some of his shops dro- shots drop with more consistency, especially when he's going towards the rim. Um, and the reason I picked him for uh, my dark horse lead the team in assists this year is that, um, you know, he doesn't naturally really play the two like he was forced to um, last year. And the year before that, he was playing um, the three alongside two either ISO scores um, and or catch-and-shoot players um, where he wasn't getting as much in the way of driving and kicking and therefore registering assists to Rousey and Howard. Um, I'd like to see him expand his game a little bit more, and um, especially because we have one true, like, Here's our lethal shooter, Marcus Howard. Here's his complimentary piece in Brendan Bailey. Um, I'd like to see him create more off of the slash or off of the drive and set up either of those guys um, or the big man more. Um, I think he has the ability to do it. I just, you know, we've never really seen him be the most creative player. And I, uh, I think that's what I want the most out of him um, as quote unquote development in, in his last year. Yeah, I, I pretty much agree with Sam in a lot of ways because, again, he's a senior. We've I don't want to say we've seen it all from him because, I mean, he is so, what, like 22, 23, something like that. A lot of things can it's happen. It's fifth year on the roster. Yeah. I'm sorry? 
It's his fifth year on the roster. That's uh, I don't know if people forget that, but I do think some people forget that he was on. He's been on every no. He was on the Ellenson team. I'm pretty sure. Yep. Steve Ojahowski team. Yeah, he was on. He was on the. He was on the Ellenson team. Um, then redshirted the South, the team that lost to South Carolina. Am I getting that right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, redshirted the team that lost to South Carolina with the, um, you know, the or the first Rousey Howard year, um, and then uh, came back and has been a steadying force on the next two teams. Yeah, he um, and a really Marcus unique Howard situation. Are, I was gonna say he and Marcus Howard are the last two current players that I would have seen when I was still a student, which is kind of sad. Yeah, um, I am. I am out of that category and have been um, for for quite a while. Old man. Yeah. But anyway, I, I was just gonna say that I agree with Sam in that we are pretty sure that we know what type of player that Sakari is gonna be. I don't think he's ever going to improve his shot to the point where he is a consistent. Hey, we need a three-pointer right now that isn't from Marcus Howard. Let's point to Sakari Anum to do that. I think, and again, I agree with Sam on this, that he is at his best when he is creative in the half court, especially on cut situations. I think that Wojo could do wonders by saying, hey, Sakar, whenever you see like a slightly open lane, just cut there. He's, he's honestly incredible at that, and then fighting through contact, being... 6'5 and pretty bulky and getting to the rim, finishing with some cool dunks, stuff like that. It's probably the best in those situations, actually, when someone off the ball needs to do something to create an easy basket and he's the guy to do it. So, yeah, again, steady force. And I do... The season, I think, has gone well if Sakar Anum comes off the bench because I I kind of agree with that too. Yeah. For all those skill sets, it's still a pretty above average high major player, which is great coming off the bench. But if you're wanting to separate yourself as one of the upper tier high major teams, pretty much everyone you're starting five has to be a very solid contributor with the Sakari animals of the world coming off the bench. And that is absolutely not a knock, not a knock against him, because I really do appreciate the transformation he's made coming from a bench warmer to being a starter right now. But yeah. it's still like a little bit limited, and I hate saying that, but ideally, someone on coming off the bench right now is able to take a step up and take over that starting role. Ideally, a guy like Greg Elliott, right. I, and I think Sakar will always be capped a bit as an offensive player because he does have a little bit of Derek Wilson syndrome where yeah. he, he has no touch on a lot of his uh, finishing around the rim. Yeah. Uh, his free throws also, like, he's never yeah. shot above 63% from the foul line. Is that true? Yeah, I, he, he improved a bit l- late last year, but you're right. I, I remember him. He, he That was his biggest struggle. And he is a guy that probably is the has the best potential to be sort of a foul drawing slasher obviously mm-hmm. does that well but yeah, yeah. he shot 59 percent from the line last year 
Yeah. So obviously that needs to improve. Um, and I don't know if it, it's possible for it to, maybe he will. Um, but okay, let's put a little ad break in here and then, uh, talk about some centers. Okay. So center situation, uh, we've got Theo, John, Ed Morrow, Jace Johnson, talk about Theo first. Cause I think there's the most to talk about with him. Um, I think, that having a guy who is essentially an NFL tight end in the post um, is a potentially game-changing thing. And that, as again played out in the scrimmage, what will really hold him back will be how he's officiated because he is a monster physically and uh, has the potential. And this has always been the case with him, and I know it's going to be the case again because college refs just cannot get out of their own way. Um, he's going to get called for fouls that no one else would and that it just are like physical assumptions because of how large he is. And it's really unfortunate because that size is what makes him so high ceiling as a player um, and his ability to use his size defensively. But um, I think that with the amount of centers on this roster, I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe Jace Johnson was just added because Wojo was like, well, we have a scholarship. Let's get whoever we can get in here to have some depth. But I also don't think it makes sense to actively seek out Jace Johnson if you're not worried about, you know, the limitations to how much Theo, Theo John can grow. Um, and so I think that that's a – because I, I, I do think – his upside is capped by poor officiating. And I don't, I, I don't, I honestly, I don't know how that goes away. I'm going to not disagree, but maybe attempt to. You can disagree. Under exaggerate the point about his foul committing. Because if you look at his stats from last year, he. His fouls committed per 40 minutes was 7.4, which you don't need a stats nerd to tell you that that's bad. But let's assume that, I don't know, 20% of the fouls that were called against him were objectively not fouls, but the refs just thought that he was big and that deserves a foul. If you do that, then he's at a quick math 5.9-ish fouls per 40 minutes, which is still really bad, and that's going to put him in foul trouble. That's going to be in the top quarter percentile for the country. And so, yes, he is officiated poorly overall. I will absolutely agree with that. He does still foul a lot. And there is a good amount of improvement that needs to happen on his end in order for him to stay on the court more. Yeah, I think so. I, I'm not, I'm not going to put it all on the officials. But I also am, like, the amount of times I've been frustrated with how he's officiated, I just, it's, it's not being in the season right now, it is the thing that stays with me about watching him play. Mm-hmm. I and think- there is also the aspect that, there are some bad foul calls that are called on him that also are kind of the referee automatic whistle that just needs to go away in general 
but also happens to affect big guys a lot more than guards. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I think Ben raises a very, very good point. Technically, even if one out of every five fouls called on him is some BS call by an official, um, he's still fouling out every game by fouls per 40. Um, mm-hmm. That that shouldn't be happening. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I think that uh, a lot of the national talk around Theo John, um, whether it was noted Twitter idiot, um, Ron Jothstein or others, <laughs> nice. has been him as a glue guy. Um, and also about some untapped potential he has offensively. I'm not sure I see that because... Um, you know, he's shown some array of post moves, but not anything that's been absolutely lethal. Yeah. He's, I want to see the hook shot. I want to see the hook shot. Um, when, I remember, I think I, for Big East Coast Bias, when I still wrote for them, I wrote the preview article for all the Marquette recruits that year. Um, and one of the things I saw on his high school tape was a really decent short corner jump shot. Now, I'm not saying I want to rely on that for his offense, but... I wouldn't mind finding some space for one attempt of that a game or, you know, see if we can get it going against a team like uh, Loyola, Maryland, or um, somebody like that where he can get more comfortable using it in a game scenario. Um, I think there's some level of offense from him we haven't seen yet. I still find myself agreeing with you, Pat, that – you know, it's probably capped by just how much he can stay on the floor. Um, there's a lot of other offensive big guys um, in the country and uh, in the Big East that are already more polished than him. And if he has to focus so much time and effort on both defending them and not fouling them, um, the the part of the triangle of his game that will suffer is the, the offensive game. So... Um, you know, I think Ed Morrow is a little bit better of a true offensive player. Um, he's, you know, a little bit smaller than Theo, um, little, maybe a little bit too reckless at times. But uh, I think we have a good balance in the front court um, as long as we don't do what will easily become my least favorite thing of all time and run two big men. Yeah. Um, so let's, let's jump into that. Um, so Theo John is going to be in foul trouble. So we will have opportunities to play Ed Morrow and hopefully to a lesser extent, Chase Johnson. Weirdly, uh, this has been the projection since he was added. Uh, Bartovic is really in on Jace Johnson playing more than all of the other centers. Um, That's not going to happen. I don't see any world where that happens, and I think that's more of an algorithm mistake than anything. Yeah. Um, Because I don't see any world where Jace Johnson is playing more than Theo John, both Theo John and Ed Morrow. Um, Where I do think, and Sam, you're – talk about the short corner jump shot with Theo John could come into play is when they do play two centers, especially if it's Jason Theo um, or, you know, however, however it is, I don't, I don't, my guess is that the two center thing will be used to get Jason the game more than anything. Yeah. Um, Because I don't know, Ed Morrow and, and Theo John were totally fine on their own and that, and that was never used. Right. I mean, I don't think they ever played together last year. Well, um, not to crap all over a fan favorite here, but the the guy backing them up was Matt Helt. Now we can we we can argue about how effective Matt Helt was in the limited minutes he got, 
but um, I can see where people are a little bit higher on the potential of Jace Johnson than the potential of Matt Hill. Um, you know, Jace was a better scorer, even though he wasn't an amazing scorer in his time in Utah. Um, Jace, you know, was a very, very good offensive rebounder, was a very good rebounder overall, and was probably a better defender than Matt Hell was. Um, so I could see the point in that, like, you're getting an upgrade over your last guy off the bench, especially because the two guys ahead of them um, were in foul trouble um, a lot. So I'd rather see it just be as a three-center rotation because of the foul trouble. Um, I note that in that uh, Indiana scrimmage, uh, Ed Morrow had two fouls, Theo John had four, Jace Johnson had four in ten minutes. So, um, you know, I think it's just going to naturally play out as a four, four and one and less of a three and two um, with two big guys because of how the fouls will have to rotate. Um, yeah. And I, I don't foresee a day where we ever see both Theo and Jace on the floor together. I think if we're going to run two big men, it'll be Ed Morrow and Jace. I think so, especially based on Ed Morrow's partial reason for leaving Nebraska was the desire to play the four more. That's interesting. Yeah, and, you know, there was a that clip of him hitting the three in the, in the scrimmage uh, post-madness. Um, that would be an interesting wrinkle. I'm not, I'm not optimistic about it, um, but that could get him more opportunities at the four. Um, and I think Ed Morrow in general is a player that is a positive force whenever he's on the court. I think he does a lot of things well and does a lot of things, little things well. Um, but I think we're all in agreement that the two centers is going to be a very difficult sell um, unless it, we, we really start to see some benefits that we're unaware of. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I like having depth of that position and quality depth. No offense. Again, Matt Helt, um, was just not a factor at all last season. Um, part of it, a usage thing, part of it, um, in usage from the standpoint of like, he, like, Wojo never gave him a chance to get going. Um, but also just, I mean, he was what he was for uh, for a couple of seasons. And Wojo made the correct decision that Ed Morrow and uh, uh, rising Theo John were better choices. Um, but I'd be interested to see Jace Johnson has some potential to contribute, I think, in a limited role. Um, but I don't want to see, um, we're all in agreement that two centers is sort of uh, – evolutionary regression if you're going to do that uh from basketball's perspective um i think even sorry even if we are gonna try and see what jace johnson has to offer i the more i read about jace johnson's defense the more i just am not as excited for him to potentially be playing big minutes if you look at uh Synergy's overall rating, they basically just go through every possession and that this defender is a part of primarily how many points are scored off of them and basically give a percentile ranking based off that. Jace Johnson overall was in the 18th percentile last year at Utah. And it just basically seems like 
most of what he has to offer revolves around offensive rebounds. So I'm hoping that he can either improve or his usage on the team will be a little bit more limited. Yeah, I mean, I think he's still the third center at this point. Um, yeah. You know, I think the first the first uh, change should be um, it, when Theo got, John has to leave the floor. I think it should be Ed Morrow going first. I like I just I think I like the idea of Jace Johnson being there to pick up the minutes when both Ed and Theo are in foul trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, again, like I outlined earlier, I think it's you know probably an improvement over Matt Helt um, overall. You know, um, again, sorry to be so mean to a fan favorite, and I love Matt to death as well. But I hate you every time you I know. speak his name. I know. Um, <laughs> but I think that you know it's a little bit better of an offensive look. Um, it's a little bit better overall as a rebounder. Um, you know, maybe the defense will suffer a little bit, but. Um, I think that, uh, if we ever have a case where Jace Johnson is taking up a lot of meaningful, meaningful minutes from both Ed and Theo, there either better be a lot of really terrible rebound problems or, uh, foul problems, or I'm going to be worried. Like you said, Ben. Mm-hmm. And that uh, partially kind of has to do with the development of Brendan Bailey. If he does not become first team, all big East, and is many, many, many steps below that, which obviously won't happen because I predicted that it won't happen. But in the 0% possibility chance that that happens, then it's probably going to force Mojo's hand to play someone else. And maybe Jamal Kane, maybe a whole lot of Chase Johnson, Ed Morrow. So, well, let's get into some of the more uh, deeper cuts. Um, I think, all of us, especially buoyed by his performance in the exhibition game, um, are pretty high on a healthy Greg Elliott contributing. Um, I've said it before. I'll say it again. He is, you know, like one stellar season of showing off passing prowess away in, away from being a better jump shooting Chris Dunn. Oh, God. Whoa. <laughs> wow. I actually... Have you said that before? <laughs> I don't See, I'm just that. like slowly taking out the bazooka of hot takes. Like, wow. No, I I, I don't hate that take. Well, I, it's, it's let's, not let's, bad, especially let's, let's, Chris Dunn has showed some limitations as a professional. Well, but let's let's talk about it, right? He is an amazing defender, super lanky for his position, very good instincts, a very good rebounder for his position, and has already shot. Uh, so he shot what? Uh, like 37, 38% from three his freshman right, year. Yeah. Um, you know, he, Chris, the one knock against Chris Dunn for the longest time was his inconsistency with his jump shot. You know, Greg Elliott's already proven to be, or I mean, guys, guys not already proven, but already had better signs of having a better jump shot. Um, and to top it all off, you know, so he's one good passing year away from being a fantastic lead guard in the big East. I'm not sure he could ever be the true number of points scored. Uh, I'm not sure he could ever reach the number of points scored by Chris Dunn because he's not a true scorer necessarily, but he has sort of that all around skill set that Chris Dunn had. And you know, yeah. so if he could go for 
10, 5, um, five, 10, 5, and 5 a night with um, a top 300 block and steal rate like he had as a freshman, that's pretty nuts. <laughs> yeah. The one problem I see with that is that I don't necessarily think it's automatic that he's going to become anywhere near the point guard that Chris Dunn was. Because Chris Dunn was the best assist man in the country his junior year. And I like Greg Elliott's passing ability pretty well. But if he's going to be that primary point guard that I think he'll likely end up being after Marcus Howard leaves, unless they get a grad transfer or something like that, he needs to show a much better handling ability, which could be a result of his hand injury being all cleared up. But that's going to, for me, that's going to be kind of a I'll wait to see it sort of thing. Because that's, I mean, that, that's my hot take amongst the rosters that he is really only like a couple skills away from being that. No, I, and I know what it, it is a very optimistic view of his development. But, um, I love the fact that he could quickly take over from Sakar as being like maybe not so maybe he can't defend up a little bit like Sakar can, but he can definitely lock down anybody his size or smaller. Mm-hmm. Um so I, I like how he projects out defensively. He's like I said, he's a good rebounder, he's got a good shot. Um he's really just a primary ball handler away and a primary passer away from being maybe a a slightly poorer man's Chris Dunn. Yeah, I, I don't have to huff glue for five minutes in order to see where you're coming <laughs> with that. Yeah. Well, I well I would recommend you not do that regardless. Um, don't tell me I, what to do. <laughs> let me live my life. Uh, I uh, well, I live in Kansas. I mean, I suppose you got to do what you got to do. True. Excuse yeah. you. <laughs> I, almost, I got to see a football team said something beat Texas Tech Kansas last Tech. night. What did you do? Uh, I would say I've always thought that, and it's been hard to think this because he's been completely irrelevant because of injury. I've always thought that the ideal for Marcus Howard is to have Greg Elliott be the lead guard next to him Mm -hmm. um, because Elliott complements Howard so well with his skill set. If he has a tighter handle than he had the season when his hand was injured, and he has, uh, and he uses his defense, his length defensively, um, and is more of a, and can be like a slashing complement to Marcus's shooting. Like that duo in the backcourt is a really good combination. Um, and if he can, you know, take his defense to uh, elite level because of his, you know, immense length, he is a really potentially great fit next to Howard. Um, now, you know, obviously the biggest thing is he's got to stay healthy and he's not shown the ability to do that. He played one full season. It was taken away. It was severely hampered because of health issues. He missed an entire season. He injured himself again this off season and had surgery there and is just now back. Um, so it's, it's a really difficult situation because you can't really rely on it because of. Uh, the potential for it to just be completely irrelevant for injury reasons. Um, but I think he, like you mentioned at the top of the pod, Sam has a lot of uh, potential upside where it could be nothing or it could be a whole lot of good. Um, let's quickly transition to his best friend, Jamal Kane. Um, 
Jamal Cain, I think, um, not for health reasons, has the potential to have quite a large contribution because of the lack of depth at the position he plays or almost no contribution. Um, and I think that for a lot of last season, the issue with Jamal, with Jamal Cain was that Wojo clearly did not trust him to give him a big enough role. Um, it was probably an immense frustration among the fan base. Um, but I think now, this year is probably the main thing Cain um, from the standpoint of if he can put it together, then I think he can be a, a real contributor as a junior and especially as a senior. Um, but there is potential that he could get squeezed out with veterans like Sakar Anum and uh, Brendan Bailey in front of him, the team wanting to play um, with two centers, the team having a lot of guards, um, and Kane being more of a tall guard than a, than a you know, appropriately sized power forward, um, that he could almost have no role. And I think a great way for him to uh, carve it out is to continue shooting that corner three, um, and then in the, the minutes that he does get, uh, provide uh, a, a lift with his athletic ability and also um, show confidence with the ball in his hands. Because I think that that's been a concern as well is does he play strong enough with the ball in his hand because of some uh, issues that could be interpreted as his issues or the coaching staff not giving him the opportunity to build confidence. Um, so my thought is, I think he's going to have some role. I think you saw in the exhibition, he played about 12 minutes. Um, I think that's probably a good place to sort of have him for now. Um, if you're projecting Bailey and Anim to play in the low thirties, a lot of times. Um, but I think there's potential, especially because three, four is sort of where the hole is on this roster depth wise. There's potential for him to have a role it's just, does the coaching staff trust him, and does he take advantage of the minutes that he gets to to grow his role? Sure. I want to immediately jump into this one, because I wrote the player previews for both him and Greg. Um, so, his freshman year, he shot 47% from three. Now, it is small sample size theater. Small, but yes. Still pretty good. 55 oh. shots isn't yeah. very few. Wow, a very small number. Yeah. So his sophomore year, he was six of twenty-two for uh twenty-seven point three percent. God, yeah, wow, twenty-six of fifty-five. That's great. Anyway, yeah. Continue. Um, he had a thirty-two point two percent turnover rate last year. Yeah. Which was, was second second highest on the team to uh notable Fordham or got a guy like him, Joseph Chartuni. Yeah, um, perfect fit grad transfer, Joseph Chartoon. <laughs> uh, so he technically had the highest uh, defensive rebounding rate on the team, um, edging yeah. out Sam Hauser. I should have mentioned that. That's another way he can contribute. I had forgotten that skill set he has, but he is a great weak side defensive rebounder. He's like one of like easily the best on the roster at doing that, and is it, like that was when. Last year, when he was contributing in the small windows he was getting, it was through that a lot of times. Like, he towers over seven-footers and just leaps over them. It yes. is – he is a freak athlete. Yeah. yeah. So, he's going to be very good at rebounding. Yes. Yeah. Which has not been, a, not been a Marquette calling card. But yes. um, I think that the best way for him to see consistent floor time um, – Pat, you hit it on the head in that – um, he needs to rediscover that corner three that was so lethal for him. 
And I think one of the primary things I saw last year from him is that he does not need to have the ball in his hands as a creator. He, you know, his turnover rate kind of shows that, but he is not a ball handler. Um, I think I'd rather have him play the Sakar Anum slasher role um, where he's receiving something in the lane and uh, getting up over players. He flashed. I mean, he shot 15 to 26 from two. Now, most of them, I'm sure, were dunks, but um, he showed flashes of a decent 15-foot jump shot. Um, I'd love to see, you know, maybe one, two plays a game ran for him to get a look like that or at least get a look where he only has to really take a power dribble and then get to the rim um, off of a like an off-ball screen um, so he doesn't ever have to truly create more so as slip his man, get open, and then, you know use that wacky athleticism to finish at the rim or at least draw a foul. Um, there's definitely a role in that in this team, and if we're going to be a team that does not rely too much on two centers um, at playing at the same time, that means we'll also probably play more in transition now that we don't have the most lethal um, half-court offense that we've shown in the past few years. So him in transition will be a lot of fun. He's not... I will say losing Sam Hauser and Joey Hauser has opened up a potential role for him. I think if had the Hauser stayed on this roster, regardless of Marcus Howard or not, it would have been a very difficult path to minutes for Jamal Cain. I um, agree. Yeah. And, and this opportunity I, has, op- has opened it up for him. Now, I do mention that in the article, too, which, again, shameless plug, read the article. Nonimsegal.com. Uh, go visit. <laughs> You know that there that that's also kind of one of the downsides is that you could see somebody like Greg getting asked to guard up a little bit. You could see the two center look seen more time than we originally planned. You could see, um, you know, maybe Dexter Akano or Samir Torrance coming in to play a three guard rotation and pushing Sakar up to the four. Um, there's a lot of looks this t- team could give that could cut Jamal out of minutes this year. So he's going to have to prove it pretty much straight away that he is. What he is the backup to Sakar and Brendan at the three and four. Sure. Um, yeah. I, yeah. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I think the ideal role for him, not ideal, but obviously ideal role would be that he plays a hundred percent of minutes, takes a hundred percent of shots and makes a hundred percent of them. But sure. for the reasonably expected role, I think it probably comes down to, a little bit of the role that he played his freshman year where he's third, fourth guy off the bench in the position where he can use his freakishly athletic abilities to make things happen and then have maybe a game like that glorious Xavier game where he scored 16 points and made four threes and was a defensive asset. Um, yeah, I guess I don't, I don't see a way that he's a consistent provider for the team but as long as he can get into the game to give guys breathers and not suck and especially keep the ball in his hands and not just cough it up every time he gets it Uh then I think he can at least be a good positive for the team yeah the the turnover rate I think is going to be what dictates it because he he would be a great He'd be a great 10 to 15 minutes a game bit player um, because of his skill set and his ability to contribute in little ways. 
Um, but yeah, if he's turning the ball over, Wojo's not going to give him the chance. And I really hope he does get a chance early, but also doesn't sort of squander that opportunity. Um, finishing up, uh, we're going to talk about apologies to now on scholarship, Tommy Gardner. Um, not really anticipating much there. Um, so we're going to finish up talking about the freshman Samir Torrance, Dexter Cano. Um, my read on this situation um, is that Samir has a much higher upside, but Dexter Cano has uh, a better chance to contribute to this team. Um, I, I agree or disagree, gentlemen? Disagree. Um, but I think it's – so I see a lot of Greg Elliott and Dexter Cano, um, but he's a lot bigger um to start off i mean um he's just built more solidly than greg was coming in his freshman year i could see him turning into an absolute pit bull of a player um all, like sort of a great mix between sakar and greg almost um so i think he has a lot of upside it just might not be in the uh the scoring department um i think samir is the heir apparent scorer though um yeah no i agree with that so I, just, I think I just don't I, know if his path to minutes exists really, but maybe it does. Maybe he's just so talented that he's going to force force their hand. I think he will deserve. So he played um, eight minutes in the scrimmage. Uh, Dexter played three. Um, right. I would assume that evens out a little bit between them to maybe about six and six each, or maybe six and five each to start the year. Um, yeah. I could definitely see Samir catching fire and being a complimentary backcourt scorer to the point where he demands minutes as Kobe's exclusive backup. Yeah. Um, but I, hope so. I think that's the best case scenario for Marquette is that uh, Samir Torrance is ready to score at a high level right away and is kicking down the door and making them play him. Yeah. I, I, I first see a lot of good things from him offensively this year. So I don't think that, I think he has the better offensive upside. I think they both have, they both project out to be very good um, long-term Big East players, um, just in different departments. Um, I think Samir will have it easier because there's not really another player like him on the roster. I mean, I guess Kobe is probably the best comparison, but it's not that great of a comparison. I think they're still radically different. Um, Dexter, like I said, is sort of a weird mix of Sakar and Greg. And so with two guys on the roster already, plus a uh, Jamal Kane who could play down at the two or the three if need be um, defensively and rebounding wise, um, Dexter might find it harder to see the court initially. Yeah, I, th- I think I think I agree with that. I think what I'm saying about Akano is more um, he I actually look at him a lot like Sakar Anum. Um not necessarily known for offense, but really well built and with a chance to contribute as a high level perimeter defender. Um, and I think that given what this team has in Marcus and Kobe, um, there's potential for Samir to break through, but I don't know how many minutes there's going to be available for a, for an offensive guard um, on this team. I think Kobe and Marcus are probably both going to play, um, you know, like a ton 35 minutes maybe both of them uh, Marcus definitely Kobe probably in the in the low 30s um, so I think there's potential that Samir just doesn't have a role um, but uh, but I do think his talent makes him a higher upside player and I think he could be 
the team's lead guard as soon as next year. Um, but Dexter Cano, for me, just the thing that jumps off the page um, is the combination of what he just looks like physically as one of the most built 18-year-olds this side of Theo John I've ever seen. Um, and uh, just uh, what Wojo and the coaching staff said publicly about his defense and that, that basically being the entire reason they brought him in. Um, and so I think that there's potential that he could contribute, but I think um, his offensive skill set is a few years away to the point where um, if he does contribute, it would be as sort of a Sakar Anim compliment. I, I like that take. Ben? Thoughts? Prayers? I'm good. Okay. Um, well, I would love to leave it there. Um, I think we did a good job breaking it down. Um, and I don't pat yourself on the back too hard there, Pat. Okay. Well, I mean, I was saying we, you guys did well too. Maybe I was just, you know, along for the ride. Um, I, uh, we are going to hopefully be back, uh, if this comes out Monday morning, next Monday, um, to talk about the schedule, um, have some sort of breakdown of the exhibition game and try to, uh, ahead of the season opener uh, sort of project the direction this team uh, is headed in overall. Um, I think generally we both, we all sort of agree um, on their placement in the top 25. Um, and uh, uh, we are, or their placement just outside of the top 25. And we are sort of in wait and see mode as far as how they perform early in the season against a couple of tough tests. Um, but yeah, uh, definitely join us next time on the Anonymous Eagle podcast and uh, read all of our preview articles on the website, anonymouseagle.com. And uh, we will talk to you next week. One more thing. Go ahead. Basketball's almost here, guys. Uh, it's like Christmas, except it's early November. And it's better. Yeah. It's just beautiful. And you don't have to buy people gifts. I mean, yeah, you, you can just... if you want. Please Venmo on me. Yeah. <laughs> You just get to get uh, your heart broken and also feel the ridiculous highs that come with college basketball. Ben's Ben's Venmo is always open. Wait, hang on. Let me uh, let nope. me give the people. No, email. no, no. Podcast over. God damn it. <laughs>